0: So, I was looking at your IMDb, and I didn't realise... IMDb? Yes, and your Wikipedia, and I didn't realise, because you're Sam, who does the awesome paintings, and I'm Andy, who's unaware in-depth of things that happen outside of his little sphere of influence and interest, Mm. mainly. And I thought, wow, Sam's art is amazing. And I love uh, David's books, so that's where I normally see the art. You mm-hmm. know, with, with those books and and some other things, I thought this. I am the IMDb. This can take me ages to get through. It's just clockful
1: of like a who's
0: <laughs> who of all of these achievements. So I thought, wow, this is amazing. But I noticed something that interested me. First of all, you grew up in Liverpool, is that right? Or you were born there? You well, grew up in that area.
1: That's right. I I was born in Everton, Liverpool. Um, okay. But I grew up in Roncorn, Cheshire, anyway, that still is... in the northwest, yeah, pretty much yeah. near Merseyside.
0: Okay, says to- two pints of lager, country, right?
1: I guess. I, I, as a kid, I wouldn't know. It's but... a
0: it's a famous series. <laughs> it's a it's like a BBC Three series.
1: Um, oh so, right, okay, mm, yeah, you know yeah. the one. Two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. Is That's that is one. that isn't that Wales? Is that Welsh? No, it's Roncorn. Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> that but, uh,
0: Look, I mean, I'm not familiar with the area anyway, but there were two things that really struck me about it. I grew up in Wales, uh, in mm. Cardiff. And, um, you know, Cardiff's quite different to the rest of Wales in many ways. You know, there's a lot of different sort of cultural and regional variations there. It's something I was interested in. And maybe, you know, when you're living in the U.S. as you are, Americans... Why don't get this? Why would they get it? But there's a different perspective, almost. People live in different regions, different parts of of Britain. Mm. And I was just wondering how your growing up in that area in Runcorn, in Cheshire, formed your perspective on on your view of life compared to, say, Andy, who grew up in Wales, or, um, you know, uh, Edward, who grew up in Winchester, etc.
1: That's a really interesting question. but you're right, it is, you know, is as varied as accents are throughout the United Kingdom. And for people who have never been to the UK, they think that we're a small collection of islands, but we're really quite big. We're much mm-hmm. bigger and more varied than people realise, as you know, of course. Um, and I think the variations of interest also are in these little pockets of as trends are today, you have these groups of people Mm. who are into different things in different regions. And so you only need to sort of take a trip to Devon to suddenly discover a whole different group of people into other strange things um, that you might not normally have been interested in to begin with. You may be interested in ghosts and then Mm -hmm. you take a trip to, you know, the Cotswolds and all of a sudden you're interested in fairies. Mm -hmm. And yet they're all intertwined and all very much related as we know. Um, but for me, I mean, I grew up, as I say, Roncorn Cheshire, until the age of 10 and it was on the edge of a a forest and so there were canals and you know fields and very much um surrounded by wildlife of all kinds of you know lovely british nature very simple um country life sort of a a vibe of um what's the word all all creatures great and small very pleasant (laughs) green england Um, But I'd also spend a lot of time in natural history museums in Liverpool, particularly Lime Street, Um, and a couple of trips to London, of course, the natural history museum there is unbeatable. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been to a few around the world and there's nothing comes close Mm. to the London one. Manchester is pretty good, though. Uh, But I would say as far as as interests go, I think it really depends on, from our generation anyway, Mm. um, not entirely sure your exact age, but I would guess we're, we're around about the same. I'm just, um, I'm
0: 76. I'm just, just slightly ahead. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm
1: 84. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, I'm, I'm, I was born in 78, but I'm 84 yeah. years old. I'm actually 45. <laughs> anyway, numbers are not my strong point. I was going to say, um, it depends on the books, bookshops and, and sort yeah. of thrift stores that you have access to mm. as a kid of our generation. The, there was no internet there was no real sort of uh, expanse that we have now where you could look up anything. You know, if you've heard of a strange animal in the Congo, you can look up all kinds of articles. Mm. Whereas in in the 80s and even the 90s, it was really hard to find anything, any book, you know, yeah. unless you went to a, a, a huge national uh, library, you're not going to find it. And the internet was very, very basic in its I mean, early days of, of the, the late 90s. Rooms. Yeah, yeah nothing um today again you can look up anything so i think for me and anyone depending on where they are it really does depend on you know whether you were lucky enough to travel to a gallery or a museum or a bookshop an old bookshop and and they may or may not have something on the shelf by lauren coleman Mm -hmm. or someone you know you, Mm -hmm. you just didn't know um i did happen to find uh I think it was a Reader's Digest may have released it. A series of magazines that came out in the 1970s Mm. that spanned for, I don't know how long, but it was uh, up to sort of, I think, 15, maybe 18 volumes of these. Uh, You could collect them into like hardbacks. Anyway, Mm. this whole thing was sort of someone who collected this and it was in a bookshop and it was The Unexplained. Mm -hmm. And on the cover they had sort of jigsaw pieces embossed into this hardback and the unexplained was written in gold and it's all very, very nice. Mm. But it was this magazine that someone had collected Mm. in the 70s, um, a series that covered everything from ghosts to cryptozoology, UFOs, parapsychology, everything. Um, And my mum bought it for me and Mm. it was in the basement of this bookshop and I just found this sort of 12 volume I've since found a couple of the others, but it was like someone had collected up to 12 of these huge books, big, thick stacks. And I just, I just had to have them, you know, and I said, mom, you're not going to believe what I found. Look at this. (laughs) And uh, before we knew it was mine. Mm. (laughs) So I think my childhood sort of growing up with my head buried in a lot of that really paved the way for my interests into the unexplained and just the vast array of strangeness that's out there on the fringes of just everyday life if if you just look a little closer it's all there isn't it
0: no it is i think it really is and i think everybody has those starter um magazines again our, in our age group it's very important that, that those books that you had i think it was something when i was perhaps eight or nine so i have it called <clears throat> Scream magazine or, or something similar to that, and it had little sort of cartoons of like horror, ghost stories, a bit of Nessie, mm-hmm. a bit of Bigfoot, and then, you know, obviously the few in search of reruns and uh, Arthur yeah. C. Clarke's yeah, Mysterious World, which was always amazing to drag you in and, and to That's get you interested in that. Yeah, but I mean, apart from that, all we had was clippings from newspapers or little stories that might be in local press before chat rooms. Yeah. and perhaps as teenagers, then, you know, things like Fangoria magazine came along for the horror fans. And, you know, you could check in to see what these great effects guys were doing. And that was a heavy influence as well. Uh, But Mm -hmm. still, I think, you know, you're right, it was hard to get the influence that people just have at the touch of a button today. So perhaps that, that sparsity leads to more creation. You know, more of a creative spirit and, and talking about that. Actually, I, I also noticed that you went to University of Leeds. I did. Um, so was that, that's Wakefield. So I, I was there in 1996. Um, I had a girlfriend who was in staying in, I think Breton Hall and she was part of the art university there. So we used to go to the sculpture park. Oh, nice. All the time, which you're probably very familiar with.
1: That's cool. Yeah, I've never uh, been. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I'm I thought you must it, have right? been. It was um... no, no. I was, okay. I was in the city of Leeds. right Okay, the so there was the oh.
0: Wakefield was the one I was kind of out on the, the outskirts, mm. um, but I, I just, I really loved it. I loved the city. There was this great sort of pub, the Cock of the North or something. There was a great rock club in the centre. It sounds pool, good. You don't know it.
1: <laughs> I'm, <No>. I'm <laughs> I was familiar with Bradford Rios. Um, okay okay i went across there a few for a few shows but um, yeah
0: okay there you go there you go all of my all of my small world small world but (laughs) all the wrong signposts actually well you know i think it it, but going to that sculpture park i was going to say it must have had a great influence on you but it clearly didn't um but you know it's it's an awesome it must be it's an awesome university to have those facilities uh close by and um, and knowing some of the artists that I knew that came out of it at the time, it was really, really fantastic. Um, I think there's there's another aspect of that, though. And what I kind of people I met there or artists were also really into music. But since I've, I suppose, been uh, sort of like a, kind of the closet as a cryptozoologist in, in 2016, I turned my hobby into a, you know, a, a semi-career of some kind. I noticed that the conferences... That there was a more of a triangle actually between artists, musicians and cryptozoology. And mm. this seems to be something that that features in a lot of people. Like At least people have at least two of them in their repertoire. And at the conferences yeah. I've been to, people seem to have all three. What do you think that is? Well, what joins those three things together? So I was at the Crypticon after party, I think in, the, before 2020 and they had a karaoke. And I, I was a singer for many, many, many years. And um, hmm. to my surprise, half of the speakers got up and really killed it on the karaoke. They were all ex-musicians. <laughs> and I thought, "What the hell is this? You know yeah, what's what is that link?" Do you think?
1: I think it's just um, they're all cut from a different cloth. Really, it's or uh, the the same cloth, um, different from I would say regular people, but. Um, I heard a term, you know, the last couple of years, N- NPC, non-player characters, that sort uh, of are, with, are within uh, a game, okay. you know?
0: I understand what that is now. So and you so you've solved it for me, yeah.
1: <laughs> if, if you imagine, like, a world where you're the the only thing mm-hmm. that's important, and let's face it, we're all number one. But uh, uh, it's it's all our own experience, isn't it? Yes. Everybody everybody else uh, are either just non-player characters or they're other people in the game that you can interact with Mm -hmm. and i think those are the only ones that ones that stand out and listen to sort of actual music rather than Mm -hmm. simple beats for simple people
2: yeah
1: um it's it's a different cloth and i think everybody who's into monsters and um more bohemian lifestyle art and music and everything else it's all the same world Mm-hmm. And everybody outside of that who is sort of into numbers and money and cars and stuff and skyscrapers, it's just kind of a dull existence to me anyway it's uh, I'm sure there are people out there that live and breathe it and love it jump out of bed every day to make money, but it's not <laughs> it's not what I'm from um i I'm definitely aware that there are there are more people into rock music and cryptozoology as you mm-hmm. say. Then there are people into cryptozoology who also do accounting, like it just doesn't seem to fit together yeah yeah not um, many cryptozoology researchers
0: who are also accountants, perhaps fans, but yeah not, not the not the accountant cryptozoologist <laughs> on the weekend that's not, that's yeah. not a common and i think
1: I think also i don't know what it was like for you kid but i've I've mentioned this in the past before um for me anyway, I think there are two types of boys um maybe girls too you know on a, mm. on an occasion who either play with dinosaurs and dragons mm. and monsters or they play with cars and spaceships and mm. robots yeah. and it's it's one of the two it's very rare you'll find someone who's into both mm-hmm. um unless they're a spoiled child um <laughs> maybe uh someone who has their fingers in all different kinds of creative pies would probably be that person who Mm. had access to everything as a kid. But I think for me anyway, I I grew up in the, as I said before, the natural history kind of aspect Mm. of life where things were dinosaurs and real monsters came from that um, upbringing of, you know, what's strange, how far Mm. can you go with that? And I think music's the same, you know, the stranger, the music, you know, it's, it just opens your brain, doesn't it? there's creativity any, in it
0: yeah absolutely yeah, yeah you
1: don't need any drugs for that you know it's um that's something i always sort of say each to their own but um i've never needed to expand my brain i think a book is enough
0: <laughs> i agree i agree wholeheartedly now as um as a touring musician in the past um and somebody also doesn't drink <laughs> you know they do. might everything else um i yeah people are always very confused by that and i used to think well I'm here to play the gig that's what that's sort of the drug I'm looking for tonight is the show yeah that's the that's a funny one isn't it that's the reward not like getting messed up before you get on stage or after you get off stage and um there is that there are downsides to that you're always the designated driver for a start um the only person lucid enough hopefully to get everybody home but that's part of it I think there are genres there's um there's cultures that often, uh, ways of life that attach to certain interests. And if you're not into them, sometimes you can't feel like a bit of an outsider, even within the thing you love to do or that you profess, mm. uh, yeah. you know, to, 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 be your, your one and only, um, path in life, I think. Now, talking about your art portfolio again, it, it really was, you know, it was a, a huge read. And there were so many bands in there, so many, uh, musicians guitars and things designed that people i've loved for years and years do you get to meet those people or is it just that somebody sees you online and the commission comes in via email or or phone and then you you get to work
1: it's a mixture of both um i mean living in los angeles now it's um you know i've been in and out of the area for must be nearly 15 years now um But before that, it it would be via email. It would sort of be, you know, either uh, a band or a merchandise company would say, hey, we need some designs doing, love your work. Would you be interested in doing this? But it very quickly sort of put me in a position where I was able to travel Mm -hmm. and visit America and and meet these people and go to those studios and see what they're working on in terms of the album and hearing the music before I even create the artwork. Um, And that happens quite a lot. Um, being out here now I just worked on the new um, Filter album mm. uh, Richard Patrick formerly of Nine Inch Nails he's mm. an incredible band Filter has a new record coming out and of course i am good friends with Richard for a couple of years now and so he just called me up one day and that's another example of how it happens someone might just phone you and say hey we, we need some artwork are you mm. on board um, but in the past I've also just reached out myself and said you know I really like your music I'd love to be a part of that history that you're creating and be a part of that legacy and i'd like to offer my skills and marry the two in a sense um mm. and you know quite often they'll say oh wow thanks we like your work too and and it, it, sometimes it surprises me that they've even heard of what i've done um but as the years have gone by you know the portfolio expanded and everybody knows everybody in the industry it seems and so i've sort of landed myself a sort of strange position where now if I were to look back at my teenage self at university mm. um with a picture of Rob Zombie on the, on my bedroom wall, you mm. know, from from a Kerrang magazine or whatever. Uh-huh. Where he had the big claws costume thing. I had that on the side inspiration. Um and then years down the line to to meet him a few times and to do artwork that's ended up in his albums or t-shirts and tour posters kind of thing is it's weird. You have to pinch yourself because I, if I were to go back in time and say, Hey, you'd be doing this mm. in, you know, 20 years, 25 years. Um, I, I might not believe it straight away, but I could dream that. Yeah. Oh, I look forward to that, you know, um, cause it is always, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'd be, um, incredibly excited that it did happen. If I were mm. to go back and say, yeah, you you actually
0: did it. <laughs> and I guess uh, um, you know, it's so weird. there must have been points along the journey where things didn't seem so certain. You had to go through some elements of of um, prospecting of struggle to get where you finally
1: arrived um, at. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, there are highs and lows in any career, you know, there's ups mm. and downs, but I think a lot of it is the main enemy for me of anything ever, has always been uh, time
2: mm.
1: and finance. Mm. Sometimes clients, and it's not as though I charge the earth, I don't. I've done a lot yeah. of work for free, purely for the love of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but there's been times where clients have uh, commissioned me for a colossal amount of work, and they just haven't had the finance. Wow. Um, through no fault of their own, mm. it's just they're either with a studio or a a publishing company or, or a record label that something, just does not something have this the finance. Removed.
2: Yeah, I
1: understand that. and they just, you know, there's no way for them to fuel such a, um, ambitious project, even though I'm fully on board and, and uh, it's happened, I think twice in my career where they've oh. said, you know, we want to do this and, and it'll take this many years and I'd say, Hey, I'd love to do it, but you know, I need to pay bills and eat. Mm. and if the money's not there then logistically speaking i could want it until the sun burns out to Mm -hmm. do it and be happy to do it but sometimes logistically i think that's that's really the only downfalls that i've ever come across is just the lack of um i hate to say it, in some instances common sense coming from big companies that just don't seem to understand that Mm -hmm. you know people do need to sleep and eat and pay their bills
0: you find then that even when it's a large corporate I find this a lot when I was pitching my show recently with the large TV studios I mean, some some of the the offers I got were were less than it would cost to make it and and pay the insurance you know and the the indemnity on the program yeah. I was quite I think I was quite astounded by the the types of um offers that that producers and and filmmakers get just in this genre and then you know the, this uh studio this network has got your show for four mm-hmm. or five years or it's exclusive <clears throat> and um, you know the argument is always exposure isn't it you'll get the exposure yeah. Yeah. and you know if you've been a musician as long as i was a musician you know what exposure means it always means work for free essentially mm-hmm. you know with, sure. the, with the promise of, of hopeful um, uh, yeah, increase of, of your standing in your stature which normally doesn't come through let, let's face it you know that's um mm-hmm. that's the the bottom end of that how do you get around that and how do you as british well, people as well it's it's very difficult for us maybe not for you but generally it's difficult for us to talk about money isn't it to put that into the conversation yeah. when we're doing work for people how do you do that is it a lot easier in la because it's always on the line or or do you just try to you know slip it in nice and casually and make sure it's understood from the start
1: well two things um firstly just to to your previous point there i think there's and i only really honestly sort of realized this and had this sort of epiphany myself Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years but there seems to be a stigma which is almost a myth that to do something um for exposure Is a bad thing and that you'll never get paid for Mm -hmm. and everything else. I think what people need to look at when that's offered them is to really put it on its head from the other perspective, from the Mm -hmm. other angle and understand and appreciate that it's not, it's not the client that's going to give you the exposure you are. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's down to you to say, I did this and to push Mm -hmm. this. And in many ways you're going to have to push the band and do the advertising for them. So you're doing double the work and, not you know, you might do the album cover or the book cover for an author, perhaps, and they're going to want you to share it. Well, of course, you're going to want to do that because it's your bloody work. And and let's say, for example, you don't get paid. But it's agreed that you don't. Um, then it's up to you to sort of make the most of it. What can you do with it? You, mm. You're not going to do that if it's a small client. Because yes. that's not going to work in your favor. If it's a large client that says, hey, I'll you know, just do it for the exposure. On the one hand, you could think, well, hang on. You're, you're a big company or a big client. You must have tons of money. Well, that's, that, that's where the exposure is valuable. Mm-hmm. And you do it because you can't buy that kind of advertising. <laughs> and it's as simple as that. That's your fee, mm-hmm. doing it for free to get that amount of advertising. Um, and so people need to look at that sort of very, very carefully before they agree to anything. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is, um, I have a manager. So when it comes to finance and contracts and trademarks and copyright and anything to do with money and the changing of hands, um, my wonderful manager will always handle that for me. And not, not always there'll be things where I'll just handle it myself. Where, quite confident to say oh i know this person um like richard for example you know i have a rapport with him and we have our arrangements and uh, you know there's several other clients that will come back to me over the years and say hey can you do this or like to work with you again you know it's been a while let's do something new um but if there's a new client if it's a big client if it's a publishing client mm. uh that's global my manager will handle that um but it's also important to sort of understand um, even with the, the big and small fries that if you create a piece of artwork, it's uh, or writing or music, whatever you do, it's your work until mm-hmm. it's signed over in a contract uh-huh. to somebody else. Even if they pay you mm-hmm. and they use it and they say, you know, Hey, we'd like to, um, you know, have a, have a, this song featured on our, you know, film or this, you've written this article for this magazine, mm-hmm. or you've done this this cover for this album or this documentary or this post or whatever, or this t-shirt design, if, if they've paid you and you say, Oh, great. Yeah, you can use it. That's, that's great. That's the, the sort of gray area where a lot of people get uh-huh. lost and confused. And, uh, it's, it's a tricky situation when mm-hmm. you have a client that will hire you for something and then you'll see it used indefinitely forever. And uh-huh. you can let that go and say, Hey, that, that's fine or you can really get down to the grits of it and have a contract and have them buy it out mm. and you let it go and, and do whatever you want with it. There's so many different things and there's no one rule. You have to sort of um, sort of really gauge and agree with who you're working with. How big are they? How how important is it to you that you yeah. work with them? Do you even like their work? You know, okay. Are they going to work for you? Um, so there's a whole myriad of different situations, but contracts are a big one you know
0: got to be careful with that well that's that's very interesting of course having a manager really helps uh, in that yeah. circumstance architects design houses but builders build them and you have to have the right man for each function right yeah so that makes exactly. sense to me um now that was very interesting me i had great artist uh brett manning do some uh art work for my book Beast of i love Brett's yeah. great. I mean, so creative, so nice, so genuine. Yeah, she's wonderful. Just wonderful. And uh I gave her descriptions of the creatures, eyewitness descriptions. She drew based on the descriptions. I said, this is fantastic. Can I, I said, I want to use it for T-shirts. I want to use it for the book and merchandise. Is that okay mm-hmm. with you? That's fine. Every time I post it, artwork by Brett Manning, even though I paid, because that's yeah. my understanding of, of the deal. It's
1: that's her very artwork
0: important. that I paid yeah. for for these particular useless.
1: Yeah. That's one bugbear, actually. I'm glad you bring that up. That's something that, um, and I love Brett's work. I, yeah. I love what she did with your books. and It's just incredible. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. But that's definitely one thing that's a real bugbear for me and a lot of artists is not getting the credit, regardless of whether mm. they were paid for the work or not. Um, and our work is never fully owned by anyone else, regardless mm. of what they pay or use it for unless there's a signed-off contract. And mm. even then, Even then they should be credited because Mm -hmm. you might see a a painting by Frank Frazetta, you know, the Mm -hmm. great Frank Frazetta, and it's on a book somewhere, but it's still going to say painting by, regardless of, you know, who may have even outright bought the Mm -hmm. ownership of the work. It's still going to have his name. And a lot of clients today, everything we're living in such a fast world where everything's Mm -hmm. immediate. People are using God awful AI because they, They've no. I'm ask you about that yeah. effort to yeah. to have any decency to hire an artist, um, and so everything's so immediate they forget to credit people, and it takes a second, you know. They it do. They a, do. I mean, it's a happened once or twice in the past, of
0: course, when I've, I've gone back and checked myself. But when you find mm. a good artist that understands what you're trying to achieve and really puts, as you do, that extra bit of character and effort into the, the uh-huh. creative process. I think it's important now, talking about AI, actually. So there was mm-hmm. two questions I had about that. The first one is about the technique you use. So when I, I spoke to Brent, she agreed to, to work from the eyewitness descriptions for cryptozoological art. And I said, you can use some creative license. But if you could make it as much like the creature as is described by the witness, that would be great. Is that the same for you? Is it what, what kind of split is that between creative license? You know, Sam, Mr. Sam Sheeran's mm. personal um, style and uh, the outwitness description. How, how do you work on your cryptozoological creations?
1: It's it's funny. It's um, you know. It's, people have said you know I like I like your style. I recognise your work straight away, and for mm. for a good while I didn't I couldn't see that mm. as the person doing it. I couldn't see that there was any consistent, cohesive style that was regular or, or repeatable um but people have said that they see that but i think it's mm-hmm. more what i do is it's more of the execution and people might say that's the same thing but um there's no telltale sort of twist mm-hmm. or embellishment or exaggerations of a t- particular thing you know there was a i forget the guy's name a famous um wood carver sculptor he he would always carve a little mouse in the corner of a table mm-hmm. leg or a church pew so that you knew it was his it was like his signature he would add that little <laughs> piece i don't actually have anything like that um in terms of making something of my own so i'll never put a spin on a report or, um you know so, uh, from cryptozoology uh mm-hmm. any kind of cryptozoological description i do try and keep it as base to natural history If anything i would maybe look at it as though how would this appear Mm. if it did live and breathe? What would the biological parameters be in terms of how it should look if it were alive? I think that's maybe the only thing that I would put on it. Um, But I would never twist or add something or throw something in that isn't there. Um, I think it's important to be true. There's a lot of people who, particularly in the AI community who will uh throw in all kinds of nonsense to Mm. create these bigfoot images to to promote their you know channels or their patreons or whatever Mm. which i also find pretty disingenuous when you're when you're you know you're asking people to support you but you're not supporting artists it's i find that really ironic
0: and it's just in the last three weeks it's an oxymoron
1: isn't it it's killed me
0: in the last three three, four weeks just seeing every single podcast every single especially these um sort of you know terror in the woods type posts that people are doing on youtube and the thumbnail always has some person and they're sort of you know scarred and broken up and behind them is the 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 terror and it's already a format and because the algorithmically people stick to formats because they get attention the originality is drained out of the process already and i've I've already seen some abysmal ai art and so far i think you, even when it's very very photographic in essence mm-hmm. you can tell you know it's the same when CGI. Straight away, it's it just you can soulless. still tell it's not yes yeah. soulless it doesn't have uh, depth and there's something it that's looks not really.
1: yeah it looks to me as though um it's either how, how you would look at sort of a video game graphics mm-hmm. and know straight away that it was a video game and not real life. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, whether it was some kind of RPG or some wrestling mm-hmm. game where the characters are supposed to be realistic. And, you know, if you look at the early PlayStation games, mm-hmm. everything was very blocky still. Um, but you could still e- even tell now that it's a video game. And I think with AI, it has that same sort of... yeah essence you look at it and you just think well there's that ai video game thing and i wouldn't even call it art i'd say ai imagery mm-hmm. um and it's uh yeah it's really disheartening what annoys me is people sort of stepping forward with uh all of a sudden sort of several hundred images that they upload onto their instagram and all of a sudden they're o- an overnight artist mm-hmm. and they get really defensive about it you know and they say oh yes i am an artist and you well, just think I, oh my goodness, I, maybe,
0: yeah i wanted to have your you know, opinion have you, on that
1: yeah it's just mm. you know have you have you actually ever had a paper cut i mean i'm not even being, I'm not even being facetious i mean have yeah. you blood sweat and have you actually yeah. cried because of your of hours yeah. of work where your hand is crippled you know yeah don't call yourself an artist if yeah. you use it from Stone. sharpening all your pencils yeah yeah you know i mean here's on my desk you know an eraser and, and a sharpener um yeah. and, a, and a broken ruler you know that's yeah. everyone needs a broken ruler um But yeah, AI, you know, people would say, well, and friends of mine have said, who are fellow artists have said, um, you've got to move with the times. This Mm. is just evolution. They said the same when Photoshop came along and you use Photoshop, you know, for, for your work. And I would argue it's not the same. It's not something different about this. It's, you know, there's an electric pencil sharpener.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and then there's a pencil sharpener. And Mm -hmm. I think the electric pencil sharpener is of course AI. The, the fancy pencil sharpener that might be a little bit, you know, more stylized is your Photoshop. You know, you, are still doing the work. You know, you can There's another
0: difference as well, though, Sam, is that it's electric sharpener. Pencil sharpener is not going to put artists out of work. It's just going to sharpen their pencils quicker.
2: Yes. Yeah. And that's
0: the major difference. This essentially eradicates The the need for humans. And that's a strange place to be in because what's the point of providing a Mm -hmm. service for humans if there are no humans to take up the service.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, this is why we fight wars, isn't it? For Mm. art and music. Um, But when you, when you remove the soul and the heart Mm. and the originality and the mistakes in a piece of artwork, that's a genuine, intentional mistake, a Mm. mark making piece, that's your craft, that's Mm -hmm. your soul. That's, that's a unique piece even if it's a digital painting where you are moving the pixels yourself mm. to get that particular little the, the everything that goes into a piece um you know you you if you're typing in words and hitting a button you're not doing anything that's mm. not art that's just not <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> you know well, it's, it's uh, not
0: but it's it's you know it's it's a feeder though and i think Mm-hmm. Yeah, this exists in every genre to a certain point you know, there was um there was an argument about DJing for a while you know was okay if you have turntables and you're mixing and you're creating new tunes as you're going along that's mm-hmm. that's art that's DJing but if you're just setting up the playlist on on the computer mm-hmm. and dancing that's not DJing and, yeah. you know, it's, it's things move on. We understand this, but it's a, perhaps a poor analogy, but it, it's, uh, I don't think we'll really recognize exactly what the damage is until it's done, yeah, essentially. Yeah. And all of the benefits, all of the people have got now from just getting a nice picture that you can use online or in your book, um, at zero cost. That'll mm-hmm. be clear in three to five years time when we're tired of it. Yeah. And there are, there is nobody to do that drawing for you
1: anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you know people would say, people use the argument, well, nobody, nobody's getting hurt by it. Just stop mm. complaining, you know. But mm. people are getting hurt by it. There are book covers and album covers out there that are now AI produced, and I hate to say it, but they're utter shit. Yes. Yeah. Because- yeah. To the to the untrained eye, yeah. and everyone has their own view and their own journey. And you mm. know, there's someone out there who's never seen a Dali, and when they see a Salvador mm. Dali, they'll, their mind will change, and they'll be like, "Oh, now they they're exposed to surrealism," and they might look up something else. And so, you're going to have those people that will see a piece of AI imagery and think it's incredible because they've never seen something like that before. But if they were to be told how it was done mm-hmm. by scraping other people's work. And mashing it together, it's stolen work, stolen graft. Mm. You know, some would argue. Well, you're a fan of Salvador Dali, so haven't you stolen from him in a sense of of the the ideas of surrealism? And you could argue a point that an artist will his mind will expand based on everything he sees. Yeah, but he's still doing the work. Mm. A machine is not. And so I suppose it comes down to the argument, well, what's, what is the artist? Is it the mind or is it the work? Mm. Um, It's a real tricky one. And I don't think that there's, I don't think the language has really been explored to kind of investigate and, Mm. and show people what an artist is. And I don't, I think it takes an artist to see it. Um, for you know an artist isn't going to understand unless as i say they've had a paper cut and they've really mm-hmm. cried over a piece of artwork that's maybe not been published in the correct color mm-hmm. or something you know things that will break your heart because you spent weeks on a piece that is printed wrong mm-hmm. or is stolen or you know someone claims it's theirs and there's some kind of nonsense and confusion because who did which version mm-hmm. of which first and all of that heartache that comes with art mm-hmm. isn't found in AI. It just doesn't exist. It's soulless. You're stealing and you're profiting from other people's mm-hmm. hard work. Um, and I think Molly Crabapple is a, an amazing artist, and she's really at the forefront of arguing the point against AI mm-hmm. to say that in the industry um, it's overshadowing and destroying people's lives. And it's not a case of a, you know a printing machine has suddenly taking people's jobs it's mm. worse than that it's mm. far worse than that it's stripping the creative soul from people so and <laughs> producing
0: no well i agree with you i'm producing work that's based upon um a popular algorithm as well so yeah, essentially all nothing looks the new same. can yeah. be produced yeah. because it has to fit it has to it has to get likes and you know mm-hmm. follows and shares and and that's not going to produce anything risky, anything different on you. all looks the same, yeah. It's the same with music. I mean, I think we're you know, a year or two away from, you know, AI-produced songs, even with the, well, the, they're the out. voices I mean, and the instruments and everything there. Like, complete fabrications with CGI characters and... Yeah. Just it was a
1: mix-up last week. Us. Yeah. Uh, I think it was... I may have seen it on Twitter. I hate Twitter, but I caught a story on Twitter. I think it was the artist Drake. Mm-hmm. A song, a, a song had been released yes, with his voice, done some, yeah, mm. and it was streaming all over the place. And then mm. his label had to pull it all down really quickly, even though like thousands and thousands of dollars had been made um, from this popular track that wasn't even him. Wow! Um, so it's already taken that. his voice and they've yeah. modulated it and changed it. So it's yeah. already happening, um, which is crazy, really. <laughs> the way you think it's about it.
0: crazy that it's gone that far, that we have that kind of technology and yet we're still mm. so stupid. Stop treating people like like um like idols and you'll you'll stop being disappointed, yeah. you know, basically. They're all yeah. humans as you've discovered on your journey to uh, you know, um <laughs> yeah. well, working with some of your heroes, as Absolutely. you mentioned, you know. And yeah. Yeah. that's the the thing that always happens. Finally you meet these people. And, mm. um, they're just people like you're a person, a normal human being. That's doing a job. that somebody had to do that. They were good at and yeah. it was up a, a and coming one. aspiring artists. They'll meet Sam Sheeran and say, Oh gosh, you know, like I'm working with Sam Sheeran and that'll happen. And it's a, a funny thing. And it, it was strange. He was so human because <laughs> he's a human. So
1: yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm a big dorky nerd. At the end of the day, you know, I like my dinosaurs, and uh, I love dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, I like my toys. So, yeah, I'm definitely, um, I would say, a regular guy.
2: Yeah,
0: seem seem pretty regular to me, um, <laughs> Sam. Uh, there was there was just one thing I wanted to ask you before you go, and no. um, again, jury's out. I'll, I'll I'll review I'll review our. our Possibly soon to be censored conversation at the end. And if, if
1: you feel it's easier, it's my money.
0: I don't mind it. But all. if you want to
1: talk about something else, we can have well, some more I think time. we should,
0: we should, um, we <laughs> should get onto a few other bits. One of the things actually I'm, I'm really, really interested in is, is the theories on the taxonomic identity of Bigfoot and other cryptids like Nessie and the, all the the main types like monsters, sea serpents, hairy uh, mm. humanoids, etc. Do you have any opinions on that? Do you have any ideas? You know, there's this whole religious aspect sometimes to to uh, the philosophies of cryptozoology. There's a the woo believers, paranormalists, and then flesh and blood. um, uh researchers as well do you fall on any side of that particularly
1: i do um i think it comes in waves of popularity when someone has a new idea that uh suddenly goes viral because it's been Mm -hmm. said in a different way Mm -hmm. um much like the explosive phenomenon of the dogman um a number of years, I mean, you could even say 10 years ago, it didn't exist in a sense. It did. It was around, but over the last, you know, maybe three or three or four years, it has just become this ridiculous phenomenon where it's everywhere and everybody's seeing it. Um, And that's just one example of a sort of um, a viral term that spreads throughout the cryptozoology community. But in terms of Bigfoot and the paranormal or the woo or the, the spooky side of things that can't be explained versus natural um, variations of undiscovered great apes. You know, you have those two kind of the weird and the, the sensible in a sense. Um, I think what happens for the most part is there are so many different um, variations on the phenomena from the description of, of let's use Bigfoot as an mm-hmm. example of the Bigfoot itself, there's so many different variations. You have your sort of general consistent sort of. It's very tall. It's very bulky. It's hairy. It's man apeish. But then there is all these different kind of variations. Some say it has a human face. Mm-hmm. Some say it looks just like a gorilla but walking upright like a man. Some some say it was aggressive. Some say it was gentle. There's so many variations. And then you have the few, but the, this it's like the dog man. The more people talk about it, the more people either make up stuff because they want to be a part of it and they're influenced by it and they enjoy the mythology and want to be a part of it. Well, they've genuinely seen something and they're starting to come forward because other people are coming forward and they think it's okay now to talk about it, even though it really was weird. And those are the ones with the flowing balls of light or Bigfoot seen with a UFO or strange lights in the forest kind of aspect or a hunter will shoot one and it will disappear in a flash of light. Um, all of those strange Bigfoot stories, mm. the very paranormal accounts um, are the ones that people will say, well, there's more to Bigfoot. And this, and I put this in a sort of a level of, well, it's just an excuse. People get lazy um, and they kind of throw away any reasoning to really explore an answer mm. um, by saying, well, Bigfoot can't just be a normal creature then because of all of this. There has to be something more to it. And that will explain why we never find a body or we never know where they are or sometimes the footprints will just end and there's nothing there. And And I think when people suddenly just say, well, it's just weird, they throw it all out. Mm. And I think there's a huge, for me anyway, a, a huge chunk missing that hasn't been explored and researched, when people just go, oh, well, then it's just paranormal. Mm. Well, then you're just putting that thing on it. Like to say a ghost is, um, you know, it's either an intelligent spirit that's Mm. trapped on this earthly plane, or it's a recording trapped Mm. in the fibers of a building, perhaps, you know, people will put it in these categories. But I think everything to do with the supernatural or the paranormal, two very different things, is... You've either got an undiscovered or rediscovered species or um, something that should have died out a long, long time ago, still found alive, or was classified extinct as now walking around in the outback, maybe. Or you've got a, a completely brand new species, um, which we find every day, insects, birds, reptiles. We found uh, another species of bird last month, last week, maybe, that has poisonous feathers. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I that's just... Mm. I mean, you could say, well, that's paranormal, you know. Mm. Um, it's super nature.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This bird has developed a way that if a cat were to jump on it, the cat's poisoned before the cat even eats it. It's it's soaking up toxins from its mm. feathers into the paws of the cat, and the cat will have an, a reaction. So this bird has evolved and developed this wow. unique way of defending itself. And when you have um, monkeys... Now, in the Far East, that don't have a nose, where mm. you may have seen them, it's just a hole mm-hmm. with a slit down the middle, where it looks like a skull face.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They've evolved so differently because of their climate, because of the you know the areas where they live and the, the weather and all of the the food they eat, their social behaviours, all the different colours that they display on their fur. Every animal out there that has a little bit of a strange uniqueness once was a cryptid that someone had seen and described, and they would say, oh, that's just so weird, it couldn't possibly Mm. exist. The giraffe is a perfect example. The giraffe is a 20-foot-tall monster. Mm. It has spots like a leopard. It looks like a camel. It has two horns on its head, but on the ends of the horns are these solid balls. Mm. It has long long legs, but it's necks a, a really long neck, but it doesn't have a long tail, and it eats grass, and it has cloven hooves. Well, that sounds ridiculous, but that is a giraffe. But when they brought that description back, they called it a camelopard, a camel mm. leopard, mm. because they didn't know what else to call it. And now we know it's a giraffe. And so I wonder with Bigfoot, these descriptions of, well, I mm. saw this giant ape man with a ball of light. People aren't looking into it enough and really kind of missing opportunities to perhaps find a new uh, type of... Uh, a glow of them maybe it's mashed them all together mm. around a rock who knows um maybe they, that's the way they you know mate by showing like the nice glowing ball look at my glowing mm. balls <laughs> who knows um but i think people throw too much out with paranormal and just say well it's paranormal and that's the end of it they don't Sorry, even it was the it. glowing
0: balls they got me it's
1: was... yeah. yeah yeah i mean we all we all have glowing balls once in a while
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I had sort of like a little spider web framework of, of fireflies being strung together and floated (laughs) through the air as a mating ritual, Sasquatch mating ritual. You know, it's, it, but it is amazing. I think that's the point. I made this point ages ago and I said, you know, the, when the first people that dove beneath the ocean and, and literally watched an octopus not only take on the color of a rock, but the shape of it. They would have witnessed a a mystical and magical power, where our ancient understanding. Even now, it's
1: mind blowing. Yeah, it is. Even now,
0: but biologically, we know how it works. Whereas then, you know, the octopus could have been a a venerated, mystical animal with magical powers that you didn't dare, you know, to 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 uh, trespass upon. So I I think that's the way I always think about it. Perhaps they do have some abilities, infrasound, and other things that people speak about um cloaking that's yeah it's a bit of a far-out one but who knows you know who knows yeah, how well, these things I, cloaking work? is is, yeah. is one
1: that i've heard mm. uh a few times from people where if you take the polar bear for example is on first va- value mm. looking at it it's it's white mm. but if you see them in the zoo some of them are greenish mm. brown underneath because the hair follicles are hollow and so they'll have algae growing inside the hairs mm. Um, and mm-hmm. the only reason they really appear white, even though their skin is black, is the light is bouncing inside the crystals mm-hmm. of the hair. Well, who's to say if if a porcupine can flex its quills out to appear different in pattern and shape, then and that being a mammal could an mm-hmm. ape develop hair that could do the same and disguise itself as a tree, maybe instantly disappear, or something else. Who knows? Um, but I think you know, as you're saying there about animals change in shape just think of butterflies that they completely disappear as a leaf until they open their wings again and then some of them look like an owl Um, and this is one that always (laughs) i've had so many discussions with people about this um where an insect particularly it's usually an insect that will mimic another animal um you may have seen the caterpillar that hangs from a branch And its head kind of puffs out and it looks like a snake. And it even has eyes Mm -hmm. on the side of it. Mm -hmm. And it moves like a snake. It's a caterpillar. And I've always argued, um, how does it know (laughs) what it's doing? And and that's a choice. That's not evolution. How does it know what a snake looks like? Yeah. And I just think, yeah, 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 yeah. I just don't, I can't get my head around it. And people say, well, that's evolution. Evolution just takes so many eons of survival of the... Of the fist and i yeah i just don't buy it at one point on. there was
0: one eye of the snake and then said, no, yeah. we need two and the next you know it doesn't make I sense don't buy i it. think yeah it doesn't yeah. make sense because even with survival of the fittest if that type of evolution anyway it's i think it takes place in some respects but it it has to have then still some intelligent force behind it in some yeah. way in some yeah, way, there yeah. must be, you know. And that, that sounds very religious, and maybe I am, but it—I've tried that way. It doesn't make sense. It may—it yeah. it, it, basically, I think, it requires as much faith to believe such things happen that way as it does to believe there's some divine force directing it. I think it's almost on a par at some point. It's supernatural
1: for sure. It's supernatural. Yeah.
0: There's, there's, let's say, there's, there's this big gap. Well, where we don't understand beneath both schools of thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Both could be called faith if you wanted to. One believes that, you know, the big man in the sky did it. And the other believes that the divine force of nature enabled that caterpillar to mimic that snake over millions of years. And it's still, it's still a stretch. It's still a stretch.
2: It's Um, always a stretch.
0: I, I think we should finish on, on tips. Tips and techniques for um, other artists, people coming up who want to uh, put themselves out there, who want to make their, their art individualistic. You know, mm-hmm. what, what would you share with them, whether it's advice on how to proceed or or tips and techniques to, to make their art unique? What would, you, I think, what would
1: you say? I think there's a few things that um, if you're wanting to become a, a successful artist in terms of having that as your sole job as your career. Um, I think it's really important to remember a couple of things really is, uh, if you're looking for clients and work and you want to be hired by, uh, someone you admire or work with a company that you admire, whether it's, um, a band or an author, uh, or a sporting goods company or a trucking company or whatever it may be. Um, always remember that if you don't ask, the answer's always no. Mm -hmm. That's it. You have to ask. And don't be afraid of of asking what their budget is. Um, If they're coming to you, Mm -hmm. you always must ask what their schedule is and their Mm -hmm. deadline and make it very, very clear when that is and whether you're able to do it. Don't buy off more than you can chew. Uh, Don't undersell yourself. Don't overcharge. and above everything else always listen to everybody else's piece of information that they can give you as advice or criticism it's really important that you listen to criticism don't shut it off listen to it look at it from their angle and think why are they saying that and you'll grow and develop and become better and better and better you become a a perfectly adaptable organism by doing that um so just as a takeaway, um, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah, that's it.
0: I would agree <laughs> with that, and I would say, some, yes, also in my own experience, I've been surprised at how many times I've just got what I wanted because I asked for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm, it and really somebody
0: is. said, "Oh, you want it's... that? Okay, who are you?" Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll give we'll give it a go. Why not?
1: Yeah that's that's as simple as it is you know you, yeah. you can just say hey i really like slayer i'd love to work with them and then you do and that's just how it happens
0: <laughs> the dream living the dream yeah. i mean as a as a former uh metal hand as a complete rock fan as i was in the years <laughs> now listening to ancient greek sonnets in the afternoon <laughs> why not it's yeah. still it's still rock of, of a kind um um yeah megalithic. that's the style um yeah i i think that you know that's great advice and you're living that life you're doing it um you know better or worse and uh it's
2: it's just been a pleasure finding out all about how you got there sam thank you so much thank you andy